If you would, one more time, open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6, and we'll reread verses 1 through 4. I don't know if it's, uh, if everyone's just getting used to it or what the reason is, but, you know, on Sunday mornings, there's uh, several songs that we do the last uh, verse a cappella. Sounds really awesome. I'm up here in the front. I don't know what all you guys can hear, but it's awesome. So more of you should leave the back and move to the front so you can hear all those who are no longer in the back singing. And, uh, but anyway, uh, but it is really cool uh, to hear that. It's just uh, at, that, at those moments when that's taking place, it seems, um, and at least to me, maybe to others, but it seems to me that whatever we're singing is just more uplifting. Uh, and it's not, I have nothing against the instruments. The instruments are great. But when you just hear the voices of believers singing, it's just, it's just really cool. So anyway, I just want to throw that out there. Let's pray, and uh, we'll get started. Father in heaven, as always, we are so grateful, Lord, to you for your, your kindness and your love. Father, we know we can never thank you enough for what you've done for us. We know, Lord, that uh, all of us at one time, those of us who are believers, at one time we were basically stinking unbelievers, living in our sin and loving our sin and paying no attention to you at all. Uh, and in the midst of our sin, you interrupted our lives and uh, you brought the gospel of grace. You enabled us to understand it. And, Father, you saved us out of the misery that we were in and set us, Father, on a course of a new life with a guaranteed future. And, Father, for that we are so grateful. And so, Father, we ask that as we gather here again this evening to worship you, uh, we ask, Lord, that you would help us as we open your word. We pray, Lord, as we read the passage, as we think about it, as we talk about it, we ask, Lord, as always, that it would continue to influence us in our life, that we would continually be changed, that we would constantly be challenged by your word. We pray, Lord, that you would not allow us to put it to the side or put it on the back burner. We ask, Lord, that whether it's bits and pieces or whole chunks of the things that we hear on Sundays, we pray that it remain with us throughout the week and that we would think about it and think about what it means. That, Father, you would use it to nurture our souls and to strengthen us. And so, Father, as always, we know that you're with us because your word has told us that you have promised us that you would always be with us, that you would never, ever leave us alone. And, Father, we also know from your word that it is powerful, and it is that which is used by your spirit, again, to continue to transform us into the image of your son, Christ. And, Father, we do desire that. And so we ask, Lord, that would be accomplished in us. And we do ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Ephesians 6, beginning in verse 1. Children... Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you and you may, be, and you may live long on the earth. And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and the admonition of the Lord. We're going to finish this up tonight. The idea is looking at the phrasing of not provoking your children to wrath. And we are looking at various passages in the Bible uh, that were... Uh, as we look at it in light of that and, and trying to eliminate those things that would cause us to cause our children to become frustrated and angry. And again, remember, that doesn't always mean that when we do that, that means that they will express anger like at that moment. Uh, oftentimes, the kind of anger we're talking about, the kind of frustration that they're going to experience is the kind that builds internally for many, many years and then comes out later whether it comes out when they hit the teen years or the later teen years or go out to college. It doesn't always mean that they're in a rage. It just may, it just may be kind of a seething frustration, and so they, they may become cynical or bitter, or, and they turn against 
the faith. They turn against the authority of the parents. Uh, and it definitely affects their relationship with the Lord, if they even have one at all. And we want to make sure that we are not um, guilty in the sense of really adding to that or uh, the main cause uh, of that in their life. So there's a little bit of, of uh, review in what we're going to be covering, but two of the things that we're going to cover tonight, I think, are, I guess you could say, if you were to boil it down to two things, or the two most important things, we need to make sure that we as parents do. And when it comes to giving advice to others or trying to help others, if they're seeking help in the raising of their children, that we emphasize the right things. So the first thing I want to look at is basically the idea of practicing a double standard. And what this really, what we're talking about here is it's not necessarily the idea of hypocrisy. All of us do act hypocritical at times. But from things that I have studied in the Bible and the books that I've read and people that I've talked to, the main problem with hypocrisy in the home, the, the kind of hypocrisy that negatively affects our children for a long time, is hypocrisy that's not admitted to. When we, we live our life as if we're not being hypocritical, where there is no indication that we recognize that we make mistakes, that we sin that we sin against others, that we sin against our children, that we sin against God. And so we refuse to admit that. Whether we, uh, wh- whether we at times kind of lie when we're caught in something and say we don't do it, or, or there's just never any, I guess you would say, a heart-to-heart talk that you have with your kids where you kind of share your heart with them that you want them to know that you are very much aware that you're not perfect and that you mess up. And that you've messed up with them. You know, maybe you became angry when, when they had done nothing wrong. Or maybe you were overly harsh. Or maybe you were, it kind of looked like you were kind of holding a grudge for a long time. Or whatever the case may happen to be. Or you were failing in your time with the Lord. Not spending time in the Word. Not spending time in prayer. Or not praying for them enough. Or, it could, you know, we, the list can go on and on. And it's important for us to admit that to our, our children. To let them know that we are committed to the cause of Christ. And that we are submissive to the authority of the word of God and we're submissive to God himself. And so again, when we're talking about this double standard, it's not just that it exists. It's not just that there's hypocrisy. It's that, you know, again, we are not admitting that. There's a lack of that kind of honesty um, in the home. And, and, you know, obviously we're not saying that we just kind of mention it in passing or act as if, well, everybody's doing it. It's no big deal. It, it needs to be a big deal. Not that we have to be overdramatic with it. But it's important for them to see that we take these kinds of things seriously. That we don't just take serious their bad behavior. That we don't just take seriously their rebellion against authority. But that we take seriously our bad behavior. And that we take seriously our um, rebellion against the authority of God and the authority of the word of God. Turn, if you would, to the book of Mark just for a moment. The book of Mark, chapter 10. Part of the double standard may be that we demand that our children serve us and we fail to serve them. It's interesting to look up to see uh, on the internet to see the number of articles that are written uh, about this subject or maybe how this subject is kind of danced around. Uh, I just think that we just need to act as believers with our children. Not, you know, I'm talking to parents, with our children. And that then means that, yes, we do teach them to serve, to serve others. Yes, they have responsibilities to the family. And they should serve the family. But we also need to serve them. 
as the parents, we serve them. Not that we become subservient to them, but we serve them. That we're willing to make sacrifices. Not, not just the, the kinds of sacrifices that we, that we as parents kind of always take for granted. Of course, we're going to spend our money on them and all those kinds of things. But we want to make sure that they understand that we, we lovingly serve them. Because we care for them and we love them. Mark 10, beginning in verse 42. Jesus called them to himself and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers over the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever of you desires to be first shall be slave of all. For even if the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many... The phrase that is often used in Christian circles is, they, they call it servant leadership. Uh, that's kind of a catchphrase. Um, it's one that's used when you're talking about whether someone is serving as a deacon or an elder or actually many different things that go on in the church. The individual is, is basically in a, in a servant leadership. We are leading by serving others. I do believe that same idea should be carried out in the home. It may look a little different, but again, the command for us to serve others also includes our children. So again, there's, not, there's never a giving up of parental authority. It, it is not that. But it is definitely a serving them. Uh, it is um, a, a definite loving sacrifice that we make because we care about them and the way they feel and their development. So we want to make sure that we, that we don't then do what others do. And, and sometimes what happens is, is you know, we, we might be blind to our own failures at times, which I think we all are from time to time. But it's interesting how individuals can kind of take their authority uh, and kind of ratchet it up, whether, whether it comes out in anger or maybe it just comes out in day-to-day uh, act, uh, conversation where we kind of let the individual know, I'm the parent, and I'm not talking about there are times we have to scold them and we have to make sure they understand we are the parent, uh, but there are those who, it's like they're kind of, they, they use their kids. They may not use their kids all of them, but they use their kids. Or, or they just don't communicate things rightly to them. So, so what your kids, the impression they get is that not so much you're the parent, you're just the boss. And the boss means that you yell at people and they do what you say. And so that's what they learn. If you ever want to learn how things go on in a home, teach the kids. And, and every now and then give them authority. See how they handle it. Then you have to pray for wisdom and, and also discipline. That God will help you keep your mouth shut because you will learn how maybe mom and dad communicate to them by the way they communicate to others. But the point is, is that we want to make sure that, that we are instilling this in our homes, that we're living this out. And again, remember, we're going to do this imperfectly. We, 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 we want our children, I guess we put it this way, we want our children to see us growing in the grace of Christ. I read a book once about, um, it was written by a pastor for pastors, and it was going through uh, 1st 2nd Timothy, and there's a passage where Paul encourages Timothy to ensure that those in the congregation, basically, can see his growth in grace. Now, that's a very pride-damaging passage, because it's easy for pastors to think or to put on the persona that we've already arrived. And, it's, and we won't say this because it sounds very, you know, very arrogant, but what's kind of presented is, I don't really need to grow all that much because I've already arrived. Now, we would never say that. But 
We need to continue to grow as believers. All of us do. No matter where we are in leadership, we need to continue to mature. Uh, it's not just in our, in our knowledge in, in the Word of God as to the amount of knowledge, but in our application of the knowledge of the Word of God to our lives. We're going to make mistakes. We're going to sin. We're going to be hypocritical from time to time. And that's why, you know, this idea that, that pastors or those that are leaders don't do wrong is just ludicrous. And we want to make sure that we, when I say give people room to fail, we're, I'm not saying back off and, and allow there to be a lack of accountability with leaders and somehow we overlook sin. We're not saying that at all. But there's still very much this idea that all of us, none of us have arrived and we continue to grow in the grace of Christ. And we need our children to see that in us as well. It, 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 it might be kind of uh, damage, damaging to your pride the first time you hear it, but it should also bring you great joy. If you ever hear your kids say... I remember when, mom, when I was 10, mom and dad were such and such. And now that I'm older, I can look back and see how they've grown in the grace of Christ. That would be fantastic. Now, I know in some cases it might be easy because mom and dad were kind of going at each other with, you know, kitchen utensils and things like that. And we've seen a change. And that's marvelous. But really, that, we should see that change in, in everyone. It doesn't always have to be the big dramatic thing. Whether we're praying more often whether we read the Bible more often, whether we refer to the Bible more often, whether we're showing a greater sense of patience, whatever it happens to be, uh, we should want our children to, uh, to see that we're growing in the grace and knowledge of Christ. Number two this evening is um, one of those ones that I said is one of the most important things. And that is when you and I fail to spend time with your child in order to show them the application of God's word to everyday life. So I'm not just talking about spending time with your kid. That is important. There was a debate back in the 90s, I guess, for a while, um, uh, between certain circles where it was kind of being emphasized that, you know, because everyone is really busy, you really need to emphasize that quality time with your child. Okay, you just need to take that and throw that out the window. Because a five-year-old kid never thinks, well, you know, I haven't seen dad much, but when we're together, it's quality time. That's, that, that, that's not how they think. Right. They want all of your attention for as long as possible. So it, it, it really is both. Yes, there are times that the quantity of time will be missing and there's things we can't control. But there's actually many things we can control. And so we want to make sure that we're doing both. But when it comes to this, though, this is not just that you're taking your kids to a ball game or you take them to the park or you have them, you know, you help them with chores or they help you with whatever your hobbies are. All those things are good and we need to, to develop that time with our kids. So we don't want to diminish any of that. But in those times, you can also amp up the quality of time with them when you include in your conversation with them the discussions about the Word of God. There were discussions about what you heard on Sunday in the sermon or in Sunday school. Ask them what they heard in Sunday school uh, and, and ask them to repeat it and then talk about it. That's, that's how you increase the quality of time. It may be also that you need to increase and focus on time where you only talk about the Lord. And there's nothing ever wrong with that. But too often, that becomes just a small part. We, we, we should want our time with our kids from the time they're growing up that when we to talk about the Lord and the things of God and the Bible should be just as normal and just as natural as talking about anything else. In my family, I'm sure that you are aware by now that it's very natural for us to talk about football. It's just easy to do. 
We talk about football. We love football. I mean, it's just there's a lot of things going on with football. But also, hopefully, you know, there's never any awkwardness when we talk about God. There's never any kind of, you know, kind of, oh, well, yeah, we, yeah, we read the Bible. You know, it should be just a very natural thing. And we, so, but remember, Mom and Dad, you got to make that happen. you got to make that happen. You have to ask your wife. You have to ask your husband. You have to evaluate the week and ask yourselves, are we spending time, are we spending enough time talking to our kids about not just life, about the Bible and what it says about life now, about life in the future, whatever it happens to be. You need to be, do you discuss the Christian view or the biblical view of the news, of current events? You want help with that? Listen to Al Mohler in the morning. His podcast is terrific. It's just, he's emphasizing the worldview and looking at all these various news things, very, very current. And uh, what's the name of it again? The Briefing. There you go. It was, I was going to say it's so simple, but obviously I forgot what it was. But I listened to it. Um, and it is very, very helpful. It, it helps to stimulate our thinking. And so that if you're not, well, you know, how do, I, how do I deal with this with my kids? Oh, well, he's already given you the information that you need. This is the Christian view. This is the Christian perspective. Deuteronomy chapter 6. We read from this when we do our, you know, we do baby dedication, which is actually a parent dedication, uh, as we officially thank the Lord for our children. So in Deuteronomy 6, it says in verse 6, These words that I am giving you today are to be in your heart. Repeat them to your children. All right, so that's very simple. Repeat them to your children. Then, talk about them. Well, when do you talk about them? Talk about them when you sit in your house. Talk about them when you walk along the road. Talk about them when you lie down. Talk about them when you get up. So I know a lot of times Christians make a real big deal about having family devotions with your kids. I'm not against that. But don't relegate all of your spiritual conversations to just that. I actually think this is more profound and more impactful on them. It's great if they can remember that the family got together and had you know, that worship time. That's good. But we want this daily, repetitious conversation that we have these in i guess i would call it informal conversations spontaneous conversations that you can have with them every time you ride in the car every time you go anywhere whenever you are you can talk about so many things and so and 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 you may and some people may not be as as natural at that so you have to think about in advance ask god pray and ask god to help you in your thinking so that when you're you know going places with your kids that you will be able to bring up spiritual things to talk to them about. This is not a time to quiz them. This is not a time to, to scold them. You know, this is not, you know, where you get in the car and say, okay, we need to once again cover Exodus because you're not obeying mom and dad. Now, there's a time and place for that. But it needs to be a very positive, uplifting thing. And you can, and you can always, at least, at least a couple times a week, you can just say, hey, guess what daddy learned about God this week? Or guess what daddy was reminded of about God this week? When I was doing my Bible reading, you know what I read? I've read it before, but there was something I hadn't. Just let them know, you know, let them see that you are excited, that you yourself are involved in in nurturing your soul. And then tell them that you would like them to do the same. And even show them how to do it. Say, well, this this is how daddy sometimes. I ask myself these kinds of questions. And then talk about that. I wish a whole lot of this I knew back before my kids are born so like a lot of people you know we kind of kind of go through it half blind uh, um, 
keep trying to find the light switch to turn things on so you can do it well. But the key is, is that you know, that's why we need to pass on this information to help people as they're raising their kids to not go through so, such a long period of time of, of, you know, of error. We're going to make enough mistakes the way it is, but let's help each other with this. Again, this is not a negative thing where we're putting a burden on anybody. If, if an individual, if a parent feels like, like what we're talking about puts a burden on them, something usually is wrong with their heart. This isn't a work. We're not trying to work uh, our way into God's grace. We're not trying to work hard so God will bless our family. We're not trying to work hard so we can be accepted by God. That's already taken care of. Okay? We, we are accepted by Christ, and, and yes, God does bless obedience, but this is not some special trick to get things from God. This is the right thing to do. We're living in obedience to what he said. And this will set your heart right with the Lord. So again, this is the area. This is the spiritual area where you as a parent are the most influential person in your life, whether positive or negative. No one else is going to have the impact on your kid's spirituality to the degree that you do, whether it's positive or negative. There's, you can't get out of it. There's nothing you can do about this. You are the one. God has appointed you to this. He, your children, he gave them to you. Your grandchildren, he gave them to you. And so uh, if, if, if to you God is unimportant, then that's exactly how your children will view it, unless God by his grace intervenes. And we don't want to take, I don't know what to call it, because I don't think it's the old school approach, because that would be incorrect, but there is an approach where some people just kind of hope their kids get it by osmosis. They don't, and so we pray and ask God for a miracle. Okay, let's not do that. Hey, God can perform miracles, and that's great. But we, we need to make sure that this is the kind of thing that we're thinking about. In fact, we need to remember that not only are you going to have an impact on them for many, many years, it may be, and maybe it's true in most cases, you're going to have an impact on them for the rest of their lives. And so this is, this is an area that just no one else can, no one else can do this. No one else can do this. It's going to be accomplished by mom and dad. We communicate volumes by how we handle this issue. I heard this from Al Mohler. I've heard this before. I didn't know if this was still true. Um, And apparently as individuals work on various statistical studies, this continues to be true. But in our country, what still holds true is that 90 to 95% of all individuals who become believers become believers before the age of 20. That's incredible. So it doesn't mean that adults can't become believers. It just it happens to be pretty rare in, in comparison. And so what we're doing with our kids and the way we handle the word of God, the way we live out our, our faith in the home is of utmost importance. Uh, and here I think this statistic speaks for itself. I won't go into detail on this. This is just kind of a reminder. We need to make sure that we don't fail to listen patiently to our child we want to make sure that we're never too busy with our own interest. There's nothing wrong with you telling a child from time to time that either it's not the appropriate time or you will talk to them later, that there's nothing wrong with that. But when we are discussing, let's say they're having trouble in school or whatever it happens to be, we want to make sure that when we're talking to them, we are listening to them. Try to hear what they're saying. Even if they're going off on things that are just wrong and their reasoning is incorrect, let them flesh it out and then you flesh out for them why it's all wrong. There's nothing wrong with that. Let them know how you're thinking. Show them where, in their discussion, that they're, that they're violating biblical principles. This isn't, we're not trying to get them like a lawyer. You're trying to teach them. 
And, and so it may be say, well, you know, that's, that's not how we should think. And then you reiterate their argument point by point, again, to show them how it violates what God has said. And then show them how, how, how are we to think about this? How are we to handle this? But this is what God says. And then you can even, in some of those times when it's difficult, like let's say it's something that you've been correcting, you know, the same thing, been correcting over and over again. You may at that point, as you teach them, say, I want you to know that, that I had a hard time with that. And then tell them a story about your thick-headedness when you were young and what happened to you and how you learned that and how great it's been, how, what a difference it's made in your life when you began to, to listen and obey what God says in that area. And you can't do that if you're not listening. And so, Because we need to find out why they're doing what they're doing. Now, there may be times they don't know why they're doing what they're doing. But that's also something we can discuss with them. So, you know, that is one of the problems of what, of, of what unbelievers do. Unbelievers live their life and they don't think. God expects us to think. You need to think. And then we, once again, get into what the Word of God says about that. Here's the fourth one. And this is the second area that is one of the, uh, I would say, again, the two, if, I, if I was, this would be my list, my list of the two most important things that parents must do uh, in their interaction with their children to be good parents is the first one is, is interacting with them about the Word of God, applying the Word of God to their life. The other one has to do with discipline, and that's disciplining your child in a, in a timely manner. So it's not, and, and if there's, if there's any area where, where people in our country mess up, it is in this area. Either we're overly strict and harsh, or we're just almost anything goes. You know, whenever I hear a parent say this, I mean, I'm never going to embarrass them, but sometimes your parents say, well, all I know is my child would never lie to me. Well, then your child's an alien from another, from another planet. Uh, because if, you're, if your child's a human being, they're born with a sin nature. And the most natural thing for kids to do is to lie. The internet is full of the funniest videos on the planet of kids lying to their parents. You've seen them. The kid's got icing all over his face. Reading the cake? Nope. <laughs> Are you sure? Yep. <laughs> it's just the evidence is right there. It's just unbelievable. And we, we laugh because it is cute, but at the same time, it's not all that cute. And so what we need to make sure that we do is that we discipline our kids. We sometimes, we think about discipline in a very negative way, that somehow that means that you're always beating your child. Now, there may be times you feel that way. Right? And beating isn't the only way to correct them. There are many, many ways to correct them. I'm, I'm in favor of, of spanking, but I'm not in favor of only spanking. And I do believe that with some of our kids, some may need spankings more often than others based on their you know, personalities and all that kind of stuff. But we need to make sure that we discipline our kids. Because if you don't, you will cause them to become extremely angry. I remember listening once um, to a, a guy who was talking about disciplining kids. And he said that sometimes, and, and I don't know what that means. I don't know if that's 30%. I don't know what the percentage is. But sometimes what happens is kids are going to test the boundary. Whatever rules you've established, they're going to test it on purpose. And if you enforce the rule, however you enforce it, it actually increases their sense of security in the family and in the world. If you and I do not consistently enforce the rules that we've made, it leads them down the path of great psychological problems and uncertainty about many things. It makes them very insecure. Now, most of us wouldn't put all that together. 
But there's been enough studies to help us to understand the implications. So when, when, in other words, when we look at what God says about discipline, it begins to make a lot of sense because of all the things that go wrong when we're not consistent. And so that's the key, is to be consistent, and I would say to be rather quick. In other words, the idea is, is uh, there may be times, I mean, I do this with my kids. Um, you know, I, I'm not really, a, I'm not in favor of spanking our kids in public. Uh, a, someone may call the police and you'd be arrested for abuse. That, that can always happen. Um, but but I've, I've kind of always been against it, uh, unless it just can't be helped because of the situation. Um, because normally your child's only concern is who's watching because they're embarrassed. And so I don't think that's, I don't think that's a, I don't think that accomplishes what discipline wants to accomplish because they're just embarrassed. And so that's why it is, you know, so sometimes the parents will take their kids to the bathroom. That's fantastic. Right now, even though everyone, everyone may know what's going on, your child doesn't see the eyes looking at them. And so, you know, you're able to take care of whatever the issue is there. But we do want to make sure that, um, that if, uh, if, if there's something that needs to be corrected when we get home, uh, we need to, uh, to work on making sure that we, we do that when we get there. Um, if you do have a, a habit of correcting your children, if you go somewhere and you quit when you get home, you will, you will have a very positive effect on their prayer life um, because they will be praying in the car all the way home that you forget. <laughs> and uh, so each time you forget, I guess it's it an answer to prayer. I'm not sure how we would phrase that, but anyway. Um, but the thing is, is that we do not discipline our children or not discipline our children based on how we feel. And a lot of times that's what happens. I, we're, low in, we're low in energy, you know, whether it's we're low in energy emotionally or low in energy physically, and so we don't feel like, okay, it may feel like it's draining to consistently discipline your kid. I promise you that if you don't discipline your kid, you will be slapped wore out before you're 30 because they will run you in the ground. So we, we need to be in control with the parent. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 24. He who withholds his rod hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines him diligently. Now, there's no way to get around that. This is God speaking. God says that if you do not use the rod, and again, we're just talking about correct discipline, not beating them to unconsciousness, but proper spanking or whatever term you want to use. He says that if you withhold that, you hate your son. Now, that's really strong. And really, and so, and so what we have to remember is that you may want to disagree with what God says, but remember that God already has told us in the book of Jeremiah that you are not fit, you are not intelligent enough, you are not wise enough to figure out your own heart. Because he asked the question, remember? Who can understand the heart? And what does he say? I, the Lord. I, the Lord. He He's the, only, he's the one that understands our hearts. And so what he's telling us here is that if you don't do this, that means you hate your child. It doesn't mean you have no affection for them. You do have affection for them. It may be misplaced. But the bottom line is, is that this needs to be done. And then he says that if you love them, if you love them the way you're supposed to love them, then you would discipline them diligently. So diligently there means that you leave no stone unturned. Now it doesn't mean you become a nag and you become super picky about every single thing and you know you just like, you know, it doesn't mean you, you take their fingernails and you measure them and say, I can't believe the fingernail on your ring finger is one-eighteenth of an inch longer than the rest. How, you have failed. We're not talking about that kind of thing. Because there are some who get into this nitpicky kind of thing. But the bottom line is, is we want to be diligent. Remember, we're trying to raise people who are going to become adults. 
We want them to become Christians. We want them to love God. We want them to have an accurate understanding of life. And if we do not discipline them as we ought to, we are communicating to them that it doesn't matter. We're communicating that we don't really love them. We have affection for them, but we don't have love for them. Maybe we're too concerned that they like us. Um, I mean, there could be a lot of things that go on. It doesn't really matter what the other reasons are. We want to live in obedience to what God has said because he's right. He's the one who created us. He knows these things. Proverbs 19, 18. Chasten your son while there is hope. That presupposes something. There's a point in time when there is no hope. Now, he didn't say when that is. All right? But based on everything else that's in the Bible, I would say begin to chasten your kids when they're young. And do not set your heart on his destruction. So he's telling us that if we do not chasten or discipline our children, then we are revealing that our heart is set on them being destroyed. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be that guy. Now, there's one more passage, which I think is great. Um, and that is uh, in the book of Ecclesiastes. So, so, so turn there for just a moment. While you turn to Ecclesiastes 8, remember that, that what we're talking about here. Uh, again, as I said, I believe is the second most influential area of influence, of lasting impact that you make on your child. This will make or break them in most cases. Failing at this, proper discipline can cause them to, to endure years of undisciplined living themselves, uh, to endure years of having authority and relational issues that will bring a lot of trouble in their lives. And so this is really very important. Again, we know that no one's going to be perfect in this. Right? There'll be times we have to ask them to forgive us because we've done, we, maybe we're doing it wrong. Sometimes we have to ask them to forgive us for not disciplining them enough because we've let things go. We need to let them know that we need to do what God says. That, you know, don't worry about them hating God. Say, oh, well, my parents decided to do what God says, now I get beat every day. Right, well, you get beat every day because of your sin. And so, again, we want to explain these things along the way. And that's why, you know, you've all heard the rule that you never discipline your children when you're angry. And that's true. And I do think that if, we, that if we're doing... If we're instructing them in the ways of righteousness the way we ought to, if we are growing in Christ as we ought to be, and if we're consistent with our discipline, then you will have less anger in your discipline. Because you won't have all that frustration. Because you're teaching them. You're guiding them. You're directing them. You're going to see improvement. Uh, Again, there are some kids that have their moments, which may last a couple of years. But you're going to see improvement. You're going to see it. And, of course, all of this is always going to be coupled with prayer. You know, this is not just somehow because we're some great, consistent disciplinarian. Uh, you know, we, we need God to change their heart because we can't change their heart. We can make it worse, but we can't change their heart for the better. Ecclesiastes 8, verse 11. Because the sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, therefore the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. Now, that's a general principle here that is true for all human beings, which include our children. He tells us that the general principle is this. When the discipline, whether you want to use the word discipline or punishment, in this case here, it's the word sentence. When the sentence for something that is done, that's wrong. And it doesn't matter what the motivation is. Sometimes we get caught up in that. Say, well, I know, you know, I know he hit his sister in the face, but he didn't mean to hurt her. That doesn't matter. He hit her in the face. That's wrong, period. And too often, that's what parents do when they, you know, they go to the school to talk to the teachers about their kids' misbehavior. And they, and they want to defend their child, which is natural to do that. But we need to, we need to you know, think as believers and listen to what the teacher says or whoever about what our child's actually done. 
Because it doesn't matter what the motivation is. And we get caught, well, you know, my, my kid's not evil. Okay, well, first of all, they are. All right, they may not be that evil, but that's not the point. The point is they're doing wrong. That needs to be addressed, needs to be fixed. And remember what Jesus told us. Where do all of these wrong behaviors come from? The heart. It's not from someone else's heart. It's from their heart. So we, we, can't, we can't take the risk. That's why earlier we read in Proverbs that we need to chasten our son while there's still hope. Hope that the heart is softened to respond to, to God. So again, because the sentence against evil work is not executed speedily. All right, now, I've, you know, I think I've told you before about my conversation with inmates. And I, I did this once. Uh, there was, um, in Malaysia, there was that young American kid that was uh, sentenced to being caned. Uh, because he had spray-painted some cars. And so there was a big dis- discussion in our country about how, how cruel and brutal Malaysia was um, for, um, you know, because they use caning for a, a lot of things. Uh, whatever you do determines the number of strikes, whether you get 8 or 18 or 80. Uh, and I just I know of a case where a man received 80 uh, whips with a cane because he had raped a woman. Um, and uh, the way they do the caning there with the bamboo, it's a martial arts expert. They will they administer the punishment to your to your back, and if you pass out, then they stop, and they revive you, and then they continue. Uh, they, you need to feel every single bit of it. So when we were discussing that in in uh, in the dormitory that I was teaching in, um, I asked the inmates, you know, how many of them had been arrested multiple times, and all of them except for like one or two had raised their hands. And asked how many of them had, had done at least five days or more in jail multiple times. And again, almost all of them, except for one or two, raised their hands. And so I asked them, I said, so let me ask you a question. If the very first time that you were arrested, if you were caned, even if it was only four times or more, depending on what you did, if you were caned, do you think that would have made a difference or not? Overwhelmingly, overwhelmingly, they all were shaking their head. Oh, absolutely, it would make a difference. So I asked them why. Very simple answer. One guy just basically shouted out, well, because then we would have known they were serious. And these are men who, some of them have very, very long rap sheets. But they were just speaking honestly. It's, that's, the, that's the human heart. That's the direction the human heart goes in. When we don't correct when, when this sentence is not done speedily, the human heart goes, the, the human heart doesn't say, whoa, I've received mercy. I think I'll turn my life around. That's very unusual. Usually what happens is it continues down that path, maybe much more quickly. In fact, he tells us here in verse 11, therefore, when, so when, when, when discipline then is not executed, what to say consistently and speedily, then the heart of your child is now fully set to do evil. So what happens then, what we will be guilty of, is if we do not consistently correct or discipline our children, then what we are doing is we are feeding their sinful impulses to be more determined to do evil. Now that's not what we intend to do. We, we know in our minds what we might be intending to, be, to do a lot of different things. Now, as I've mentioned before, this never eliminates you and I showing mercy. But if there's never been discipline, then you're never showing mercy. 
Okay? Mercy only is understood when, when there is what we would call true justice, when there is consistent discipline. Then when you teach them about mercy and even show them mercy, now they may not learn it the way we want to learn it the first time, but they will at least understand it. I think I've, many years ago I told the story of two of my sons, the two older ones. They had, I forget what was going on. They were probably fighting. And it was just, it was just unending. And so finally I told them I'd had enough and I was going to spank both of them a lot. And they were freaked out because they knew that life, at least as of that moment, was now probably over. And so I brought them in the bedroom and I took out a very big belt. And I said, do you know why I'm spanking you? And they did not want to speak. Because in their minds, they're thinking, well, if I say it, it's going to be even worse. And so I told them, if you don't tell me what you did, it's going to be worse. So now there's this quandary. They're just like, like, they're, just, they're, they're, like they're going to have a nervous breakdown right there in front of me. But, the, but they finally kind of came out with it. Even the, and they already knew that I knew. So they're probably trying to figure out, why is he asking? He already knows. But anyway, they finally came out with it. <laughs> and then I said, I want you both to understand and I'm going to show both of you mercy. <laughs> My oldest boy, Jeremy, is what he said. Oh, no, not mercy. <laughs> uh, and I, I'm trying not to laugh because he had no clue what it was. And I looked at him and I said, do you know what mercy is? And he goes, no. And so I explained it to him. I said, it's when you know you deserve to be beaten for what you've done because you're guilty. You've done wrong. And I'm not going to spank you. And I said, and I told him, I said, God has shown me mercy many times in my life when I should have really, you know, he should have lowered the boom on me, and he didn't. And so as I explained that to them, I told them that they could go. And they're kind of, you know, they, they, they were stunned. If I said, yeah, you go back and play. Just remember what we talked about. Boom, they disappeared. So I'm in the room, I'm putting the belt up, and then Jeremy, he comes running back. I can hear him running down the hallway. And he said, Dad. I go, what? He goes, I like that mercy stuff. <laughs> All right? So there's a place for mercy. There really is. But if we're not disciplining our children, uh, we're teaching them some form of cheap grace. And we don't want to do that. In fact, in the uh, Christian Standard Version of Ecclesiastes 8.11, it reads this way. Because the sentence against a criminal act is not carried out quickly, Therefore, the heart of people is filled with the desire to commit crime. So that may be a good way of thinking about it. So what happens is, is that when we don't discipline the way we ought to, then we are, we're helping them. It's like we're opening their heart to be filled with more evil desire. And so it's important for us. So don't allow your children to think that there are things that you want them to do and that there are things that you will allow them to do. You want them to make sure they understand what is right and what is wrong. Children must learn that their actions lead to consistent consequences. Discipline should be administered promptly when it's necessary. A number of parents have found these three steps helpful. These are not original with me. Um, this has been uh, um, fleshed out for many, many years by many different individuals. But here's the, uh, here's the three-step process that can be helpful. Number one, or first, give your child a chance to obey voluntarily by making a request rather than an order. Secondly, if they fail to respond, give them an order. But don't tell them to do something that's beyond their capability. 
And then number three, if he or she does not comply, that is defiance. The child is, in effect, asking for a confrontation. So this one author said, then don't disappoint him. (laughs) He needs to know that boundaries are still there. Children Children will often take the risk of bumping the boundaries just to be sure they haven't changed. A lack of discipline at this point conveys a lack of concern. God expects us as parents to deal firmly with rebellion and defiance by using appropriate corrective measures. The more consistently this is done, the more a child will respect his parents' authority. And remember this, respect for ordained authority. Okay, That's what parents are. That authority is ordained by God. So respect for ordained authority is a lesson that must be learned early in life. If it is learned later, it will be at a greater cost and pain. And so we want our children to learn to respect ordained authority. And that will aid them and help them in respecting the authority of God and loving God the way that we want them to love God. So again, I want to encourage you, whether you have kids at home or you're involved now in helping with your grandkids or you're in a position to give advice to somebody who may ask or whatever this case may happen to be, these things, this passage in in Ephesians is important. And if if there's nothing else that you can remember, remember these two things because it also happens to be the two main areas, the most impactful areas where parents mess up. And that is taking time with your children on a regular, consistent basis to speak about and to apply the Word of God. And number two, the area of discipline. And if you do that, you will help perhaps your child immeasurably in raising your grandchildren so they don't become thugs. Because the last thing that we want to have in our family is kids that are thugs. Let's pray. Father in heaven, again, we thank you for your grace and your love. And we thank you, Father, for the instruction that's in your Word. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to take these things to heart, that we would remember them. We pray, Lord, that we see the importance of them. We pray, Lord, we would put them into practice ourselves and we would share these things with those who may need some encouragement as, as parents as they seek to raise their children in a way that's honoring to you. And, Father, we sometimes even think even more so in the day and age in which we live where it seems that at every turn, every aspect of our society and culture is against the Christian way, against the way of the Bible. So we pray, Lord, you would help us to be stubborn in a good way. Help us, Father, to stick with the truth of the Word of God. Always lovingly, always firmly, but always with a deep level of commitment. Again, we thank you, Lord, for the grace you've shown in our lives. We know, Lord, that uh, if, if our children have turned out well, it's because of your grace. If our grandchildren are turning out well, it's because of your grace. We know, Lord, that you probably prevented a lot of the wrongs that we did to take root in their hearts and lives. And we thank you for that. But we pray, Lord, you help us to, to help others, that, Lord, that... that um, perhaps through a greater level of their obedience will be more instrumental in life with their kids than just awaiting for a miracle of your grace to be performed. So as always, Father, we are grateful and we are thankful. And we do ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.